We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire DFS Podcast MMA Edition. I'm your host, Josh Hayes, joined as always by John Littering, and we are previewing the UFC 90, 194 card here for DraftKings.com. John, how's it going, sir? Going well. Very much looking forward to not just the pay-per-view, but the next two days, the fight night card and yes. the ultimate fighter finale. It's just It's a great time to be an MMA fan. Absolutely, but maybe the best three-day stretch of cards or, or nine days worth of action in maybe UFC or MMA history. So some epic fights going down, particularly on the UFC 194 card, a stacked card overall. So we're going to get right into it. Don't forget, you can always follow John on Twitter at John Littering. You can check me out on Twitter at Josh Hayes FS. And don't forget to fire up rotowire.com on Twitter for all your fantasy needs, DFS season long, MMA and otherwise. Let's go ahead and get, go ahead and get to the scoring here on DraftKings.com. You need to pick five guys here to make some hay, and a couple of these guys are definitely going to have to be underdogs. In terms of the scoring here, DraftKings breaks it down like this. For significant strikes, you need half a point. Uh, advance gets you a point. Takedown gets you two points. A reversal or sweep gets you two, and a knockdown gets you three points. As far as the fight conclusion bonuses, first round win gets you 100 points. Second round, 70. Third round win, 50. Fourth round, 40. Fifth round uh, win, sort of the same, 40 points. And a decision gets you a lowly 25 points. Uh, Significant strikes are counted as any distance strikes and any clinch or ground strikes that are considered power strikes by the official scores. And advancing includes basically anything that happens on the ground. Half guard to side control to mount to back control. 
let's go ahead and move on to the fights and we'll start right at the top here at the long awaited fight that was supposed to happen out here in July but is now going to happen we have the champ versus the interim champ Jose Aldo 25 and 1 undefeated as champion in the featherweight division facing the interim champ Conor McGregor 18 and 2 drafting salaries have um Jose Aldo as the dog, as um, which sort of fits his um, uh, Vegas line as well. Ninety five hundred for Aldo McGregor at ninety nine hundred Vegas odds. Aldo plus one ten, McGregor minus one thirty. Your thoughts on how this fight breaks down? Uh, it's this is just uh, like a lot of fights on this card. It's just it's so hard to try and pick a winner in this thing. Um, we all know about you know McGregor's rise to stardom. Um, yeah, how he's just as effective, you know, on the microphone and in interviews as, as he is in the cage. And as we saw um, in the Chad Mendes fight where McGregor won the interim title, the guy just has this amazing ability on the feet to throw punches and throw kicks from angles that his opponent just can't see. And he he twerks his body and he bends his body and he lands punches and and kicks. And his opponent, they look so surprised that he even throws from those angles, Mm -hmm. let alone, you know, is able to land them. And I actually, I just don't know. We all know McGregor and, you know, how pumped up he gets and everything. And um, I just believe that he's going to, he wants to make a point against Aldo. We all know how much they hate each other and, you know, everything that's been said and everything. And I think McGregor is just going to stand in front of Aldo and, you know, try and brutally knock him out just like he did against Mendez. And I just think that's the wrong way to go about it. For all you mentioned, Aldo's an underdog in this fight. The guy hasn't lost a fight in over 10 years, 10 years. I mean, he hasn't lost a fight in a decade. He's only lost once in his entire career, Mm -hmm. and the one fight that he did lose was a lightweight fight. So when you take that into consideration, he's undefeated at featherweight. And, you know, Aldo's greatest asset is how much he beats you up on the feet. And his vicious leg kicks, and guys leave the cage against Aldo just bruised and battered. And, I mean, the list of guys he's beaten, you know, Chad Mendez twice, and Ricardo Lamas and Chan Sung Jung and Frankie Edgar. The list goes on and on. And the guy, uh, Aldo has been banged up throughout his career. Like you mentioned, this fight was supposed to happen earlier. Aldo had to withdraw due to a rib injury the first time. But finally, it looks like it's going to happen. And anybody who wants to pick McGregor in this fight, you know, I certainly wouldn't say you're crazy or anything. But for me, it's just one of those instances where you know, in order to, you know, be the man, you have to beat the man. And Aldo hasn't lost a fight in 10 years. And until I see someone actually go out and do it, he's still my pick. I totally agree with you there as well. Now, and I actually feel stronger about this fight than most people. Um, I, I have Jose Aldo as my pick. I think the to be honest with you, Connor's stylistic matchup isn't great for uh, for him personally. 
Uh, the only edge that I really honestly have McGregor um, in this spot is size. He's not quicker. He's not faster. I don't think he's a better striker. I think he's a very good striker, but he's going up against the best striker, which is my problem. He's going up against a more accurate striker striker in this spot, and he has no ground gain to speak of, so he can't expose Aldo on that side, and Aldo, who basically never takes anyone down, um, has 91% takedown defense, so that's not even an angle if you wanted to sort of surprise him and say, listen, I'm going to do something that nobody expects me to do really isn't a great option for him overall so um he does have a four inch reach advantage and he is a southpaw so those are two things that sort of fall in mcgregor's favor but i i hate how he like you said mcgregor has a habit of and he did this against mendez where you stand right in front of the guy and let him swing let him land his shots and mcgregor landed some i'm sorry aldo um, excuse me mendez landed some good shots um but was able to and he's got a great chin um and he was able to weather those and um, still knock Mendez out. I don't think you can do that against the one of the best strikers in the history of the UFC in Jose Aldo. Now, if I the only problem I have on from Jose, Jose Aldo's side is because there's a clear, clear advantage in a way that you can expose Conor McGregor on the ground. He has, to me, he's... Um, it is, it's a, a sort of a same situation as a lot of these top level strikers. Now, I don't want to demean Conor McGregor because he has earned his place to some extent, but it's also somewhat like of a trumped up in terms of his rise to the UFC because he's such a great promoter and because he brings millions upon millions of dollars to the to the sport from all the you know, I believe like the MGM Grand was 80 percent Irish. Uh, who, who sold it out. So he's a, he's a clear moneymaker. But we've seen other top-level strikers or people who have good striking games like um, Bruce Leroy and Matt Mitrione who were going on this on a, on like a big-time knockout spree only to be seriously exposed on the ground and then never to advance any further in the UFC because they can't close that hole in their game. The only problem is, is Jose Aldo feels like he's the superior striker in this matchup. I, I'm, I'm guessing that he's not even going to try to mess around with that obvious glaring hole in McGregor's game. Do you, do you agree with that? I, I do. And you know, McGregor just doesn't strike me as the type of guy who will tailor his game plan to his right. opponent. Yes. He's going to go in there and he's going to throw. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Chad Mendez is a wrestler, as we all know. So it, it worked in that fight, even right. though, like you said, Mendez definitely got in his fair share of shots. Right. But he, McGregor's not going to, you know, have a training camp where he sits with his coaches and says, oh, well, you know, this is this opponent's weakness, so we should exploit it this way. He's going to fight the same way all the time. And I look at this, like, I, as I said, I'm picking Aldo, and I look at this a little bit like the first Chris Weidman-Anderson Silva fight where everyone or a lot of people at least, thought Weidman had a pretty good chance to win. But everyone was still picking Silva mostly because it was just one of those cases where, you know, people just don't, you know, people just aren't going to pick a guy who's been so dominant for so long to lose. And I mean, obviously in that case, Weidman did win and then beat him again. But people were picking Silva because, you know, he was considered, you know, the greatest of all time. And Aldo's up there on that list too. Up until he started, Aldo started getting banged up recently. He was at the top of pretty much everyone's pound for pound list in the whole sport. Right. So McGregor has been obviously on such a rise, but I think people are really just over. Not I don't know if overlooking is the right word. Maybe forgetting is a better word. 
just how good and how dominant Aldo is. Right. We haven't seen Aldo fight for quite some time, so it's not really fresh in our mind, but we have seen all the trash talking, all the embarrassing of Aldo, and all the wins that he's sort of come up with. And two things that people forget. Like you said, we haven't seen Aldo fight in forever, so it's sort of almost like you, we, we don't even know who he is, or, or fight the casual fight fans that are coming up to this fight don't know who he is. Secondly, I think it's sort of a little bit of a misleading fact that McGregor is minus 130 in this fight it's mainly related in my mind to the betting action that's happening in vegas the like we said the irish flood uh vegas they're coming out for this fight once again and they that one go up right that i wouldn't be surprised if it actually goes up i think we're going to end up seeing this aldo's price has actually come down so it looks like some people have laid some pretty bad but big bets on Aldo but you that's one thing you have to understand about Vegas and odds is in a main event fight like this and other fight cards you go down smaller down the line the 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 odds on the fight are actually more much more reflective of who has the best chance to win in a championship fight where there's going to be millions traded in, in sports books all across Vegas it's more reflective of where the the money is pouring in versus who's actually the favorite in this spot so um I'm not uh, this is why on DraftKings I think you you're you're getting the much better value betting on Aldo at 9500, and it's not. I know it's not a big savings over McGregor and at 99, but um, I this is a fight that you need to nail in order for, in order for you to win the the GPP on DraftKings uh, well, this week. And um, I'm going to put my my dollar for dollar my dollars in the Aldo Aldo camp uh, well, in my if lineup. You go, just go back like six months ago, and you said six months ago, if I would have told you six months later that Jose Aldo would be an underdog in any fight, you would never believe me in a million years. No, I would not. You're correct about that. So uh, that's that's an interesting point there as well. So, But Conor McGregor is the one guy that um, is a legitimate challenger. I, I, I sort of liken it to, I mean, this is a bad comparison because Conor, to me, is a much better fighter. But this is like sort of like Frankie Edgar Gray Maynard, where Conor McGregor actually isn't really a featherweight, but he's good at cutting weight down to featherweight. And he knows that... Um, he actually belongs in the next weight class up. And I also think it's sort of a telling stat to me that he knows that even if he gets past Aldo, he's going to be in line with people with other fighters who are not Jose Aldo's grade necessarily, but are clearly going to attack him from a wrestling standpoint uh, and, and try to expose that hole. So the way that he can sort of avoid that is maybe go up to the next weight class, pick and choose his fight, set up a fight that he likes with uh, with, with Dana White in the next uh, weight class, or, or go up... And, and and challenge some of the top options and, and get some bigger big paydays because there won't be another big payday in the featherweight division after Aldo in my mind. I mean, well, Frank, that's what he he said he wanted to do that in an interview not that long ago. He said his go- he, he planned to win this fight and move up to lightweight and challenge whoever the champion there is and and thus you know if he won obviously you know holding two belts at once you know two different weight classes at the same time and which would be pretty epic and it would be epic and it's you know if if he does beat aldo it's obviously you would if aldo you would think based on his track record that he would get an immediate rematch sure but if but you could also see you could see dana white and you know lorenzo fertitta and the ufc brass with dollar signs in their eyes thinking oh we have an opportunity to put mcgregor in a second title fight when he already has one right mm-hmm. think about how much money that's gonna make me yeah that's and and you, you take a look at it too the sort of like goes back to the whole bj pen thing where holding i don't did he hold two titles at the same time is that am i correct in saying that i think he, he might have been uh one of the only ones to do so or were those two titles at two separate times do you remember offhand 
I do not. Okay. Um, I don't think they were at the same time, but I believe he is the only he's only one of two fighters to win titles in different weight classes. Okay. Fair, fair enough. So just looking forward to, um, if you, Conor McGregor, as if, whether or not he moves on to the featherweight division, jumping up to lightweight, that's Rafael Dos Anjos, there's Anthony Pettis, there's Cerrone. Uh, well, yeah, the, the Dos Anjos Pettis, uh, the Dos Anjos Cerrone fight is next, next week, isn't it? Right. Yes, absolutely. So we that, could... that's your, that's your lightweight title fight next week in Orlando on the Fox card, big Fox card. Yeah. So that would be a great, uh, overall matchup, uh, lo- looking forward there too. Well, I, if I don't know if what would be more marketable, like Cerrone or McGregor or Dos Anjos. Oh, I definitely think Cerrone would be more marketable. I think it would be better from like a USA versus Ireland perspective, but Dos Anjos to me is the, is the better fighter when, and it would make the better match. I don't think Cerrone, I don't know. Maybe I'm over, you know, underestimating Cerrone actually has a more complete game uh, compared to Conor McGregor, but Dos Anjos is right now a, a monster in the, that division yeah, too. Cerrone's biggest asset, if he ever fought McGregor, is that nobody ever ever talks about it because all he does is, is strike. But Cerrone's wrestling is terrific. Yes, he's so. almost impossible to take down, and he's a great wrestler. He just never uses it. All right. So maybe this would be the one time where he could pull that trick out of his hat. All right, we're going to move forward to the co-main event here: middleweight championship. The champion, thirteen and zero, undefeated in the UFC and in MMA. Chris Wyman versus Luke Rockhold, fourteen and two. Sort of surprising to me that Rockhold only has sixteen bouts because I feel like he's been around forever. Uh, longtime Strike Force guy, I believe he was former Strike Force champ. If I'm correct, is that am I correct yes, in saying he, so? He was indeed. All right, uh, DraftKings salary for Wyman: ten k even. Rockhold: ninety four hundred. Odds on Wyman for Vegas: minus one. 50 Rockhold plus 130 there. The nice thing I like about this is if you want to put your uh you know money in the Wideman camp, you 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 aren't having to spend like uh Ron the Rousey or you know Paige Van Zant money like we've seen on previous uh DraftKings cards there. Just 10k sort of makes it reasonable uh for you to take who you like in either of these main events overall. So how do you have this shaken out? I like Wadman to retain, but once again, this is one of those cases where it's, which is great about this whole card. It, it's a fight that when you look at it, it could really go either way. You know, I, I don't think there's any wrong pick here. The biggest thing, or one of the biggest things that people talk about is a lot of people think Rockhold is a bigger middleweight than Wadman is. And he probably think it's as, pronounced a size difference as people think it is i saw um videos and clips of weidman training for this fight and he looked by his standards you know huge you know he weighs in at 185 but he at least he looked to be training at well over he looked well over 200 pounds and we all know what's you know we all know what's going to happen here and Weidman is pretty pretty much does the opposite of what McGregor would do. Weidman is good about tailing his game plan towards who he's fighting, and you know Weidman is Weidman is a wrestler. I'm sure that's what he's going to try and do to Rockhold. The thing Weidman has to watch out for is even though the Vitor Belfort fight only lasted what two minutes, two and a half minutes, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. The first minute of that fight, Belfort had Wyman in some trouble. Right. You know, he 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 had he had a good flurry of offense, 
in the Leota Machida fight, the last two rounds, Machida beat up Weidman, you know, pretty good. And Weidman's chin, while, you know, we haven't seen it often because he hasn't gotten hit much, his hinge, his chin is held up fine, but that's not the that's not the way. Um, that's what you have to watch with Rockhold. Rockhold has a lot of power, and he's one of those guys. While you don't really think of him as a you know one of those Johnny Hendricks, you know Roy Nelson one punch knockout kind of guys, Rockhold has the combination and flurry offense to finish pretty much anyone if you know if he's able to catch them right and the other the other big difference in this fight is while Wadman has a massive advantage wrestling mm-hmm. Rockhold is a terrific submission specialist yes he is he we, we saw him put that on display in his last fight uh there as well um I believe and he, he finished Machida on the ground am I correct in saying yeah so? he, he battered him on the feet and then mm-hmm. got him to the ground and finished him so Weidman's would Weidman's the better wrestler, right. and you know, he may be able to get the take. You know, he may be able to get a takedown or two and mm-hmm. have top control time. But Rockhold's dangerous off his back, so it's not one of those things where Weidman's going to be able to lay on top of him to, for twenty five minutes and Rockhold's going to sit there. Yeah, Rockhold has a lot of stuff he can do off his back, so it's <laughs> it's it's you know, and Rockhold. The other thing about Rockhold is. While he's only an inch taller in height, his le- he has a three-inch leg reach. And, at, you know, we saw Rockhold throws a lot of kicks. Right. So Weidman is going to have to – he's going to have to keep his distance. And then, you know, when he sees his opportunities, he's going to have to go for takedowns. So I'm going to pick – I'm picking Weidman. But, again, if, you know, you told me you were going to take Rockhold for this fight. I, I wouldn't say – you know, I wouldn't say you're wrong or you're crazy or anything. Uh, this uh, this fight is it's you know it's a fact it's getting overlooked because of all the publicity that Aldo and McGregor is getting. Yep. But this is at least stylistically pretty much as good a fight as the UFC or any MMA organization these days can put on. I totally agree with you there as well. And though this is the way I look at this shaking out too. I mean, it's like you, you, I'm taking a look at the fight metrics here. You really can't sort of like separate somebody and say this is the hole where Weidman or Luke Hall, Rockhold needs to attack. Aside from what we mentioned here, is we have wrestler versus submission artist. Um, and I was actually sort of surprised here. I misspoke a little bit. I thought Weidman was a younger fighter. Um, and uh, believe it or not, Rockhold is I guess what. Four, four or five months. I was going to say younger. They're, yeah, they're just they're just about the same they're, age. Yeah, they're both thirty one. He's uh, Wyman has a one inch reach and Rockhold's one inch taller. You mentioned the leg reach there as well. Taking a look at the significant strikes, both are th- th- these numbers are just basically identi- th- identical. Three point four three strikes. Um, uh, per minute landed by Weidman, 3.55 for Rockhold. Striking accuracy for both at 43%. Strike to absorb per minute, so that's hits they actually take. 2.18 to Weidman to 18.5 for Rockhold. Defense, 61% of those strikes defensed for Weidman versus 64 at Rockhold. Now, the only thing that sort of just gets a little bit shakier here is that 
Um, we, as we mentioned, Weidman, a, a clearly in a different class as a wrestler, 3.75 takedowns per fight average of, th- of three rounds. So you can prorate that to plus five plus in a championship five round fight. Takedown accuracy, 56% versus Rockhold's at 33%. And Rockhold just, um, just basically never tries to take someone down. So when he gets down to the ground, um, it, I don't think he'll be in like in a necessarily a dominant position. He'll have to try to like go for a submission as a reversal or somewhat off of his back. So it gives me a little bit more pause for him and wh- why I would sort of split the edge with you with Weidman in this matchup. Takedown defense for Weidman too as that's, well. That's the big. That's yes. the big number. Never taken down. 100% takedown defense in the UFC. That's awesome. And submission average 1.6 um, submissions attempted for Rockhold versus 1.2 for Weidman. So. Um, very razor thin. I want it looks like it's going to come down to who makes the first mistake out of this fight. Somebody get caught with a punch. Somebody, um, you know, makes a mistake somewhere on the ground. You know, why can get caught at submission, but all things told I'm with you. I'm going to give the small edge to the champion here in this, Chris White. I, I was, I, this, both these guys are durable. I could see this fight going five rounds, five rounds with a decision. I could easily see that there as well, just because, I think both of these fighters know what they're in store for and what, know what they should be defending against. And, you know, um, and neither of these guys look like they are going to give up, give each other, uh, give up much to each other in the striking game. And so. neither guy has, a, neither guy in this fight has a hole in his game. Right. Anywhere that's big enough that you would say that the other guy has such a big advantage mm-hmm. that it will, you would think it would lead to a finish. Right. And obviously, Weidman's the better wrestler, but that's, being a better wrestler doesn't always, you know, that's not the kind of right. Being a better wrestler for that lead to a finish, right? Um, that just leads to control time and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Being a better wrestler in the matchup for who am I thinking of as the uh, current uh, light heavyweight champion? Uh, Daniel Cormier didn't yeah. mean anything against John Jones. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. yeah, he was definitely the better wrestler. John Jones is not a bad wrestler. He actually slammed John Jones down in the fifth round. You know what that was good for? It was good for another loss. For but if you're, cons- I mean, if you're a considerably better striker than your opponent, you have a far better chance to knock him out and get a stoppage. Being a better wrestler just mm-hmm. really usually just tends to score you more points over and you know over however long the fight is. Right. Exactly. Um, so we'll see how that ends up shaking out. Very close razors then. Both of uh, both of us are two for two on the same side with our picks here. Let's see how we fare in the next matchup of who looks like, like the uh, uh, title fight in waiting here. The winner of this, I, I believe, is going to get matched up against one of these two guys who comes out. Jacare Suzo versus Yo- Yoel Soldier of God Romero here. Uh, taking a look at the matchup uh, for these two guys here. Uh, Jacare Souza, 22-3. and three, Won no contest. Yo Romero, 10-1. and one. Souza, uh, the uh, significant favorite according to, the I guess, these three fights anyway. 10.2 salary on DraftKings versus Romero at 9,200. Vegas odds have uh, Jacare at minus 150 versus Romero at plus 130. Who do you like in this fight? Well, the first thing I just want to say is that Soldier of God is my favorite nickname. <laughs> Okay, you got it. That's awesome. It's just so good. Yes. Um, anyway, sounds like a video. Uh, game. Yeah. This, oh man, this is another tough one. This is just two guys who, uh, if you've ever seen either of them fight, they're just two. They're just two animals. You know, they're just insane. Both of these guys, and I'm I'm taking Jacare, and you know the one the thing in this fight that I think is getting overlooked is. A lot of people are talking about how Jacare is older at 35. 
which obviously, you know, this sport is definitely the latter state or, you know, the low, the low second half of your clear second half of your career. Mm-hmm. But nobody is talking about the fact that Romero is 38 years old. Yeah. You know, there are so many guys, you know, in this day and age in MMA who at 38 years old, their game has slipped so much that we're watching a fight and think, oh, you you know, it's really time for you to hang it up. Right. And, you know, you you certainly Romero keeps himself in terrific shape. So you certainly don't get the sense that Romero is slipping in any, you know, he's his game is slipping in any way. Mm-hmm. But this is just. This is a fight between two guys who both are would are both are wrestlers, but again, in this fight, the gigantic difference is how much better Jacare's ground game is. Yes, Jacare is probably he's him and Rockhold are probably the two most talented submission artists in the middleweight division. Mm. And I actually think Jacare is probably a little bit better. I do too. Um, And so even if this is one of those cases where even if Romero is able to get Jacare to the ground, he's in immediate trouble. Right. Because Jacare just, he can clamp on things from angles where, you know, you don't see it coming. And the other the other thing that Jacare has going for him and it always has is he rarely rarely gets hit on the feet. Um he absorbs a, under two significant strikes per minute which in this day and age you'll see guys who are some guys who are well over 3, 3 and a half. Mm-hmm. He's under 2. Right. Pa- now part of that is because he spends so much time on the ground. Sure. So he, you know he doesn't have a guy throwing punches and kicks at him all the time on the feet. But Romero is a good takedown artist, as is Jacare. But this is one of those cases where if you told me it was going to be a straight-up boxing match, I would probably pick Romero because I think he's bigger and stronger. But I just think Jacare has such a ground advantage that at 38 years old, even though he trains with the top camp, I don't see Romero being able to make up the difference. Yeah, so th- this is how I see the shaking out. You mentioned that these guys are two wrestlers, and there's definitely some significant grappling stats. According to the fight metrics here, um, tail of the tape has this fairly even 72 to 73 reach. The one uh, sort of difference, you know, aside from the age uh, with Jacare, you know, being, uh, you know, 36 as of Tuesday, um, or is it Monday? What is that? What is uh, seventh? The seventh was Monday, so just turned um, thirty six this year. Is orthodox versus southpaw? So we'll see if Yolanda Morales, uh, you know, that ends up causing a problem for Jacare because the significant strikings uh, uh, stats say that uh, that's where you. Um, Romero has a chance to make some hay. 3.51 strikes landed per minute versus Jacare's 2.2. More accurate striker as well for Romero, 55% versus 42% for Jacare. You mentioned uh, Jacare's strikes absorbed per minute so at 1.94. Uh, Yoro Romero's at, at 2.13. And, and their defensive numbers in terms of defending strikes basically even 
66% to Jacques Rafe for Yoel uh, Romero, 65%. Now, this is where Jacques Rafe separates himself, as you previously mentioned there as well. Takedown average per 15 minutes, 3.72 to Jacques Rafe. So he has no problem getting you down on the ground multiple times per fight. That's more than one takedown per round in a three-round um, fight uh, versus Yoel uh, Romero at 2.23. Takedown accuracy, 47% to, to Romero's 36 uh, takedown defense, 54%. Romero defends it better at 71%. Um, but then you get into the submissions, 2.1 submissions per 15 minutes. So if you were a fighter who fought a three-round fight, Jacare would have submitted you twice already in three rounds yeah. is what that ask says. Chris, ask Chris Camozzi. <laughs> Definitely ask Chris Camozzi. I feel bad for that guy who was a last-minute sub who just said, I, I will take a beating for I, a paycheck. Yeah, he took a beating for a paycheck. I, I shouldn't be picking on him. Right, exactly. So, um, But I have Jacare in this matchup. But for, However, for DraftKings pricing, if you're going to be in on Weidman and you're going to be in on Jose Aldo, you're going to have to – the next two picks that you're going to make are have to going to be significant underdogs if you set, set up your, your DraftKings roster in this spot. So I'm actually what I'm going to do is probably get step away from uh, Jacare in this fight at 10.2 and take a look at see, see if I can use the, sort of a that will allow me to use a cheaper underdog that's not going to ha- um, have me take somebody that's like plus 300 or, or 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 something. I can have a little bit more of lineup balance if I avoid this fight in my DraftKings lineup. If you the tr- uh, you know all these fights we talk about there. You will make worse picks in your life than putting Yoel Romero in your lineup. Sure, you know, he, he he's an underdog, but he's certainly not. He certainly has a he certainly has chance. You sure. know, he, he's not he's not Chris Camozzi who was you know DOA when he walked into the cage. Right, he he has a chance here, but I think you're once again. I think you're looking at the same problem here for Romero as you're looking at in the rock for Rockhold. While they both can do damage on the feet, Weidman, like Jacare, they're not going to stand there and let it happen. Right. They're going to, they're going to, if, if they can't get the takedowns, they're going to get in close. They're going to, you know, try and push their opponent up against the fence. So, you know, I don't, I don't think that it's hard to just, it's hard to see a clear path to victory for Romero as opposed to Jacare, who has such the big, uh, such a big ground advantage. I, I agree with you there as well. So it, it's a, it's a tough call. So I, anybody who wants to roster Romero, you're only getting at him at plus one thirty in Vegas. So like you said, close enough for you to like not to be the worst call that you're going to make. I, I actually do like a couple other like underdogs coming up here on the rest of the slate that I feel a little bit more comfortable than going up against a guy to me like who has a good a chance as any to be the title holder in Jacare. That's just how I feel about that fight personally, and which is why I'm going to step away from it. And we can move on to the next fight on the slate here, the welterweight division damian maya 21 and 6 in his ufc or mma career versus gunner nelson 14 1 and 1 impressive record for him damian maya um is the favorite minus 145 priced at 10.1k on DraftKings versus gunner nelson at 9300 gunner nelson is a is a close underdog at plus 125 who do you got in this matchup another another fight between two guys who are eerily similar right um uh, pretty much when you look at it, you know, you kind of think, obviously, Maya is Brazilian and Gunnar Nelson is from Iceland. But when you look at, look at it, as far as just their games go, you would kind of think Gunnar Nelson is, in a way, almost like a poor man's Damian Maya. 
<laughs> and part of that is just because he doesn't have the, you know, he's only 27 as opposed, you know, to Maya, who's considerably older. So part of that is just how long Maya's been around. Right. And what he's seen, who, you know, Maya's 38, so, you know, he's more than a decade on Nelson. And, you know, it's funny, not too long ago, less from October of 2013, Maya lost to Jake Shields. Uh, February, so four, four months later or so, Maya was absolutely embarrassed by Rory McDonald. Right. So at that point, you were getting the kind of calls on Maya that you're getting on, say, maybe Dan Henderson these days. You know, like it's, you know, all right, uh, you know, dude, you're a legend, but, you know, it's enough. Right. Mm-hmm. Try, you know, time to hang it up. Exactly. But since then, Maya's run off three in a row. And in his last two fights against Ryan LaFlair and Neil Magny, who were both viewed as young quality up and comers in the division. Maya just embarrassed both of them on, um, and he embarrassed both of them on the ground. Like it, it, if you watch either of the fights, the Magni fight or the LaFlair fight, both Magni and LaFlair, neither of them looked like they even deserved to be in the same cage with Maya. That's how good Maya looked. Yes. And Nelson has the submission skills to hang with my, you know, he can do, I don't think he has the full repertoire that Maya does, but he certainly has a considerable amount of it. And, you know, we, it, not long, you mentioned Nelson's record at 14, one and one, two fights back. He lost his first fight of his career to Rick story. And in that fight, he was pretty much destroyed on the feet. And that's not Nelson's game. Nelson is notorious for being, I guess methodical is the right word. He, you know, he, in the cage, he moves slowly. You know, he doesn't show much emotion. He doesn't throw much or he doesn't throw much on the feet. So this is, I think, like, I think, like you mentioned in one of the earlier fights, I think you said the Wadman Rockhold fight. This is another fight that I think will be won or lost based on who makes the first mistake. And most cases, when that happens, I take the guy with more, more experience. And in this case, you know, this case, that's Maya. But again, this is a close fight. Mm-hmm. There are just like, you know, putting Romero in the last fight, in your lineup in the last fight, I would certainly wouldn't consider a bad idea. I certainly wouldn't consider putting Nelson in this fight in your lineup a bad idea. It's a it's it's a close fight. This is actually the one fight where I'm because of the age edge and because of Gunnar Nelson's versatility, he can actually switch stances as a switch fighter. Believe it or not, um, and you, you you take a look at. Um, how the fight mixers break out. This is a spot where I might gamble a little bit uh, on Demon Maya, just given, uh, you know, the how the, it stylistically shakes out. Uh, the, the striking advantage isn't big time in, uh, on Gunnar Nelson's side, but it is showing him as like a, and, and a better overall favorite in every area with the, ex, ex, the exception of um, his defensive ability. Having said that, that's sort of a, uh, not really Maya's forte. 
uh, overall. He really likes to stick to the grappling, uh, at least according to the fight metrics. So how they have this breaking down, 1.79 uh, strikes landed per minute to Damon Maya to 2.28. Not a big edge, but an edge to Gunnar Nelson. Striking actually much better for Gunnar Nelson. 55% of his strikes landed versus Damon Maya's 42%. Strikes absorbed per minute, 1.77. Maya's always going to sort of keep himself safe. He defends much better. Uh, 60%, 2% of the strikes uh, defended versus uh, Gunnar Nelson's 55%. Strikes absorbed per minute here. This is where Damian Maia should expose himself, but I just don't think he has enough striking tools in his toolbox to really do so. This is a, a, a terrible number for any fighter in a big fight. 4.1 strikes absorbed per minute for Gunnar Nelson, but it hasn't really cost him too much. He still has won 4 or 5, taking that sort of volume of strikes, so he has a good chin, and he ha- hasn't necessarily cost him in terms of wins. Now, on the other side of that, this is where Damian Maia is going to have to sort of do his damage, and he can definitely do so. Takedown average per 15 minutes, three takedown average, uh, uh, 3.01 versus uh, Gunnar Nelson's 1.48. Takedown accuracy uh, is not so great for Maya, though this is supposed to be his forte. Just 31% of his takedowns uh, result in um, being converted versus Gunnar Nelson's 54%. Takedown defense. That's the big number. Yes. And Nelson's takedown defense is the big problem here. Right. Just 50% of this takedown is defended versus 67% for Damian Maya. And then in even 1.2 submission average there as well. So Damian Maya can keep himself clean if he can keep himself clean, which he does a good job of doing so on his feet and um, gets, gets a better sort of accuracy in terms of his takedowns and makes it and takes advantage of his, uh, you know, submission skills on the jujitsu side. That's how he can win. Now, Gunnar Nelson's going to have to step up the striking volume and not absorb as many punches, which shouldn't be too much of a problem because Damon Myers seems to be just a little bit more of like a, a counter puncher and doesn't really even want to try to knock people out overall too much. Prefers to you know, to uh, you know keep him lying on the ground. If I'm correct, Damian Maya was the guy who laid down on purpose against um, Anderson Silva in Australia. Am I right about that? Was that him? Uh, I don't remember. It probably sounds yeah. like sounds like something I would do against Anderson Silva. <laughs> yeah, I believe that so too. And I think uh, Anderson Silva sort of made a joke out of the whole situation and Damon. Dana White was embarrassed, but yeah, that's what Damian Maya wants to do. He wants to keep in his fight uh, on the ground. He feels like he has an edge and he defends it better. And he's right about that overall. Um, having said that, I, I I'm going to go with Gunnar Nelson in the, in this matchup because I think this is one of given Damian Maya's skill set. You don't have to worry about like like a random knockout for the most part. And he's going to have to do some work on on the ground game and doesn't have a great conversion percentage. So I'm going to go with the younger fighter here at 9300 in my uh, DraftKings lineup. If if Nelson's take if Nelson's takedown defense was better, I'd probably pick him. That that that's the one one hole. Yes, he. That's the thing that concerns me. Right, Damian Maia doesn't have a great conversion percentage, but he just needs that one, and when he gets it, the fight could be over. And so. Nelson, even though he's a good, great submission artist, he has had problems in the past getting off his back. Right. And, you know, that could see the one point when you get uh, when Damian Maia gets him down on the ground, he could just end up, you know, sitting on him, laying on him, using position to sort of like, who am I thinking about in the last card to just laid on? Um, it was the heavyweight fight. Uh, it was a terrible fight overall. No one. Um, oh, it was yeah, Stefan Struve. The Jared Russell fight. Yes. So terrible. He just basically laid on Struve yep. and it was like watching somebody, you know, uh, take off their shirt and lay down on the beach. And win a yeah. fight, you know. Rush Holt might be the most boring fighter in the whole company. Yeah, it was. T- 
terrible. So I, I hope that doesn't happen with Damian Maya, but I could see that potentially happening in this matchup, which gives me hope for Gunnar Nelson because he looks like to be the more active fighter. All right, featherweight division here. Max Holloway on tap, 14-3 and three in the UFC and in MMA versus Jeremy Stevens, 24-11. and 11. DraftKings salaries has a big-time favor for Max Holloway and for good reason. 10.9K he's going to cost you versus Jeremy Stevens at 8,500. Vegas odds has Holloway as a minus 550 favorite versus Jeremy Stevens at plus 425. We don't I think we need to spend too much time on this. We, we see the clear favorite here. It's Max Holloway, and it's really not close. No, not not for me. It, it's not. Um, I when Max Holloway first came up, and he's been around a, long, a fairly long time, considering that he's only twenty four years old. Right. Um, he's he's made more he's made more strides than pretty much just about any other fighter in the whole company. Mm-hmm. He can do everything. He he even when he he throws so much. That even if his percentages are bad, he just throws so much that he still lands so much. Right. Because he's so active. Um, he rarely wrestles, but his takedown defense is nearly 80%. So he may not, you know, he may not plant you on your back, but he's not going to get planted on his back either. Right. And Steven certainly has the power advantage, which he has over pretty much any fighter he fights in the heavyweight division. That's what he's known for. He's heavy hands. Right. But this is one of those fights, for me at least, where Stevens – this is one of those fights where if you pick Stevens and put him in your lineup, you're hoping for that one punch because I think that's really the only way he's going to win. Yeah, I totally agree with you there as well. Significant, and by significant, I mean as big of – any edge that any fighter has on the card today is particularly in one particular area. And Max Holloway, a murderer on in the, in the striking department, 5.67 strikes landed per minute, striking accuracy, 41% to 43%. Jeremy Stevens, not nearly as active is uh, more active than some of the other fighters we mentioned, but 2.75 strikes landed per minute, which, and so Max Holloway has a more than doubled strike absorbed per minute, 3.77 to Max Holloway. That's sort of what you get when you, Turn sort of churn out that amount of volume. They're going to throw back at you. They're not just going to eat punches. So it makes some sense that that volume's there. That is a higher number than you would like to see. But the defense is actually still pretty good. Sixty nine percent of his strikes defensed for Max Holloway versus Jeremy Stevens at sixty two percent. No ground game to speak of for Max Holloway. Um, although um, in, in terms of offense, but he's very good at preventing at seventy eight percent of you know, like you said, uh, almost eighty percent. Uh, takes downs defense versus Jeremy Stevens, 64%. We Neither of us really see this game going to the ground overall. I think Jeremy Stevens might try to force it there as, out of desperation after getting waxed uh, in the stand-up game. Um, but I don't think it, it's going to be too much of a problem overall. Once you're in that sort of area there, all you have to do is defend well. And we look at Jeremy Stevens, not a submission threat really at all. 0.5 submissions attempted per uh, three rounds. Uh, this this is going to be a striking battle. Right. Striking battle that Jeremy, Jeremy Stevens does not have the skills, speed, or tools in this toolbox to win. Five. Oh, just like we were talking about how the Maya Nelson fight mm-hmm. is between two guys who stand around on the feet and do little. Mm-hmm. This is the exact opposite. Yes. This you is go- two guys who stand in front of each other and just, you know. But the difference between the two is Holloway is more measured mm-hmm. and smarter about how he does it. He throws a lot. But he's intelligent about it. He doesn't stand in front of the other guy and get blasted. He, you know, he uses his angles. He goes in and out, as opposed to Stevens, who is just a banger and is going to stand there and hope to. And I think the other difference is I think Holloway is. 
the considerably thicker, uh, thicker, quicker fighter. Right. While Stevens might be bigger and stronger, Holloway is quicker and will be certainly be able to get out of the way easier. Yeah, I agree with you there as well. So if he, if uh, Jeremy Stevens doesn't hit a home run, it's going to be 99 for him overall. So to, to, if you feel like gambling, there's your guy. You get him for super cheap. Not really recommended on our, our end, but we'll see how it ends up shaking out. We are moving on to the undercard here. Bantamweight. It's funny that Uriah Favor is sort of like, you know, there's just so many good fights on there. just like, yeah, why don't you just uh, fight the last prelim fight, Uriah? Well, yeah, I mean, he, he, said, uh, he said last month or a couple months ago before this fight was announced mm-hmm. that he wanted to fight this weekend, you know, mm-hmm. on the big weekend. Right. And he pretty much said he would fight. I think I, I said this when I wrote it up at the time. He said he would fight anyone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just wanted to fight. And taking this fight pretty much shows that he meant it. Right. Frankie, he just wa- he just wanted to fight. He doesn't care who it was against. Right. You know? Fr- Frankie Science has really no business in this fight. He's a, a, a big, as big of an underdog as we talked about in the last fight. Favor's actually a bigger favorite. Minus 700. Frankie Signs plus 500. Easy call on Uriah, Uriah Favor uh, in this matchup. Just too much skills and too much experience for a guy who's not really right, ready to fight a, a fighter of this caliber. Oh, no. Frankie Signs has won seven fights in a row. Mm-hmm. But against limited uh, competition, the average MMA fan mm-hmm. might have heard of one of the guys in that of, in that seven fight span, and that's Yuri Alcantara. And I guarantee you, you have to be even the most hardcore MMA fans, which is me and you, right? Yeah, have probably heard of maybe two, maybe three of the seven guys. It's not exactly a. Uh, murderer's role of competition it is definitely not and so mr uh you know although we hey we said last week or two weeks two weeks to whatever three weeks ago that holly home was gonna need an ambulance yes we were were incorrect she did need an ambulance but it was for her opponent so yeah that's we were kind of right we We, do not we do not know everything so mr sign should show up on saturday Maybe nope. it's a sign that we uh, need to need to bet more underdogs if we lose this one too, because that there was some some huge upsets on that card. It was, but then again, you know, the odds makers, these people who are minus sixteen hundred favorites, aren't minus sixteen hundred favorites for, for fun. Right. There's a reason behind it. Right, I totally agree with you there. So you know what? Hey, if you have a hundred hour extra hundred hours at home and you want to put it on signs, go for it. But uh, you know the odds of are odds are not in your favor, as no, as they would say. No, they are not in your favor. <laughs> yes. All right, we can move on to the women's story. Uh, I was actually very excited for the original version of the fight, yeah. which was supposed to be Tisha Torres, who's six and six and zero, versus Karate Hottie Michelle Watterson. Um, but it, instead, it's Jocelyn Jones uh, Liebarger at six and one here. Uh, Jones, pretty good favorite here, minus two seventy five overall versus Jones Liebarger at plus two thirty five. Um, I think you and I both agree that Tisha Torres, who was supposed to be a candidate to be a top five title contender, um, should have no problem making quick work of the uh, last minute replacements in Jones Liebarger. You you agree? Yeah, no, she shouldn't. And, you know, Tisha Torres doesn't get talked about much in the women's strawweight division. It's, you know, Cody Gadea and champion Joanna Ujacek and even Paige Van Zandt and Rose Namajunas tomorrow. But Tisha Torres is a legitimate top five strawweight. She isn't big, not that any woman in the strawweight division is, but Torres is short. You know, she has a, she's compact. She throws a lot. She's very strong. And she's, you know, 
the sad thing about Tora, the sad thing for Torres in this fight is if she was fighting Michelle Waterson and she won, it would certainly raise, you know, raise her profile in, you know, in front of you, you know, in front of fans and in front of the UFC's eyes. But this is, this, like you said, is just pretty much a replacement fight and she's expected to dominate. You know, right. Jocelyn Jones Leibarger fought briefly in Invicta, but besides that, she's fought in smaller promotions. And this is by far the biggest, you know, biggest test of her career. So it's, it's kind of hard to see her pulling the upset. Yeah, I totally agree with you there as well. So, and and the only good news is if you gamble on Liebberger, you get a, a, a bargain basement price of eighty seven hundred. But I'd rather spend my money elsewhere. T- Torres is probably a little bit too expensive for me at ten point seven, unless you come up with a, another eight K fighter that you actually feel has a shot to win. And so far, we are I think zero for two in that department with signs and Liebberger. We move on to the welterweight division here, and Warley Alves at ten and zero, undefeated versus another undefeated. So somebody's going home with a loss here, unless there's a draw. Colby coming at 8-0. Jeff King's salaries have this fairly even 9600 for Alves versus Covington at 9800 Alves a razor-thin uh, dog. They're both minus favorites. Minus 105 for uh, Alves versus Covington at minus 115. You are picking this fight. Um, I like Covington simply because they're, they're... I like Covington, but both of these guys have something going for them. Alves's biggest um, asset in this fight is is the fact that while Covington uh, while Covington's the, is the better wrestler, Covington's takedown defense has been a bit suspect. So Alves should have that in his um, you know, in his favor. But the biggest problem for Alves is the fact that he gets beat up on the feet, right? And he absorbs roughly three significant strikes a minute. Covington is at zero point nine six, which is mind boggling basically means he he's he absorbs less than one significant strike a minute which is you know hard to believe and alves alves gets beat up on the feet his take his defense on the defense on the feet is 50% while covington's is 65 you know when you get you know most guys are somewhere around you know 50 55 somewhere around there maybe 60 but fi- you know 50 is not good and Covington has power. So if Alves wins this fight, I think it's going to have to be on the strength of takedowns and top position time. But Covington's really strong, and I think Alves might have a problem getting him to the ground. So while Covington's takedown defense isn't elite, he's so strong that I think he has this upper body strength to, um, you know, at least, you know, force Alves to try and get him up against the fence. So this is a close fight, but um, I like Covington. Yeah, I, I like Covington there as well. This is another fight too. Like unless you have intimate information about who you're going to fight, uh, who you who you like in either one of the matchups, it could really be a, a coin flip of 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 which fight lands in either, either way. So you got to have some strong intel. Know the guy, been following his sort of career for me to stake my claim one way or the other. So probably not going to be in my DraftKings lineup. Um, and you know either way that you don't, you're, you're not having to pay top value um you know both under uh 10k if you used to choose one fighter over the other yeah i mean we've said we've said here before that you know you when you're making out your lineup obviously you're gonna have to take some risks but you should try and pick people that you you know you know a little bit about right not that alvis and Covington, you know are unknown guys who haven't fought a lot Mm -hmm. but you know they're both you know they're both relatively young as far as their ufc careers go 
And this is the biggest test for each against each other. So it's, you know, it's, it might be one of those fights that's best to avoid and see how it plays out. And then maybe you can use them in their next fight. Right. I, I agree with that approach uh, there as well. Let's try to learn something about the guys in a close yeah, matchup exactly. yep. before we anchor one way or the other. Lightweight fight on tap here next. Leonardo Santos at 14-4-1 versus Kevin Lee at 11-1. DraftKings salaries have Santos as a significant underdog. 8,600 versus Lee at 10.8K. Santos plus 450. Lee at minus 600. Any chance um, that that Santos can um, um, make some hay in this fight? Not that I see. Kevin Lee is one of the brightest prospects in the lightweight division. Um, Does everything well. Good wrestler, good striker keeps himself in terrific shape. Um, he lost his UFC debut to Ally Quinta back in February of 2014. And even in that fight, Lee had a very deep chokehold on Iaquinta, and it looked like Al was going to have to tap, and he somehow survived and went on to win a decision. But Kevin Lee is one of the, if you don't know anything about him, he is one of the real up-and-comers in not just the lightweight division, but in all the UFC. And, uh, you know, I don't really see any anywhere that Santos has an advantage here. I think he's in for a long night. All right, fair enough. I will take your word for it on that fight as uh, two guys that I haven't paid enough attention to. And we'll, we'll talk about uh, a couple fights here with a little bit more experience here um, in some of these fighters that I, I, I've actually seen just a little bit here. Lightweight matchup with Joe Proctor at 11-3 and versus uh, Magomed Mustavev at 12-1. and Proctor at 8,800 8, on DraftKings as a salary, plus 270 underdog at Mustavev, uh, 10.6K on DraftKings, minus 330 favorite. Uh, where are we going with Mustavev here? Yeah, I am. Um, you know, Mustafa is, is from, uh, we, we seem, it seems like we say this every time we do one of these, <laughs> from Dagestan in Russia, which is, you know, it seems like every single card, there's somebody from Dagestan. Right. Uh, I guess the most notable fighter in the UFC to come out of Dagestan so far is um, Habib Nurmagomedov, but um, there are a number of them. I would say there are probably four or five of them, and they all seem to have remarkably well-rounded games. You know, none of them really well. While a guy like Nurmagomedov's strength is obviously his wrestling, he's a good striker, and you know, Mustafev is similar in the in in the sense that his best asset is his wrestling, but he he has good submission skills and he's a good striker, so. Proctor's a decent opponent, you know, it's not, it's by no means a pushover, but Proctor's been inconsistent and he hasn't really fought, you know, pretty, Proctor hasn't fought really anyone who, you know, would be considered a significant opponent. So I think this is a, uh, I think this is a clear one for Mustafa, but this is, again, this might be one of those where you might want to stay away from it a little bit. All right. Uh, we will move on. I, I believe minus three thirty is just not enough of a, like a um a, f- uh, a spot that I want to get into my DraftKings lineup there with an eighty eight hundred dollar fighter in Proctor, uh, John McDessie, uh twelve and four in the UFC and in MMA versus Yancy Medeiros eleven and three with no contest. Uh, McDessie ten point three K on DraftKings minus one sixty five favorite versus Medeiros and ninety one hundred. I'm with you in this camp. This is where I can save some salary and feel pretty good about a plus one forty five guy in Medeiros in this matchup in the lightweight division. Uh, and I believe you agree with me here. Yeah, I like Medeiros and, you know, what would be termed an upset here. Um, I'm not the biggest John McDessie fan. Um, his last fight was against Donald Cerrone, in which he got beat up pretty good on the feet. Um, this this could be, this should be, a, should be a very interesting fight because 
these are two guys whose ground games are pretty much, at least the wrestling portion, are pretty much non-existent. This is just two guys who, you know, like to stand and trade. And, you know, McDessie throws a lot, but he's one of those guys who throws a lot but eats a lot. Right. As we saw in the Cerrone fight. And Medeiros' last fight was against Dustin Poirier, in which he was knocked out, you know, almost immediately. But Medeiros has struggled in his career when he's fought, you know, guys who would certainly be considered clear, you know, who are clear, would be considered clear favorites over him. But I, I don't put McDessie in that camp. I think this is, you know, a fairly close fight. And like you said, there's somewhere on here where you're going to have to come up with, you know, take some underdogs to fill out your lineup. And this to me seems like a prime position to do that. I totally agree with you there as well. So Medeiros is going to be my pick to click uh, as my, one of my underdogs here, um, along with Jose Aldo. And that's just going to be uh, coming down to if I can, can pick enough middle tier 9K guys uh, to to squeeze uh, the rest of the favorites into my life. You're not going to be able to afford too many people like in, in the 10, 6 K uh, and, and above when your underdogs aren't in the 8K range. So some, something else to keep in mind here. Last fight that we need to talk about here, John, uh, in the welterweight division, Court McGee, former Ultimate Fighter winner, 16 and 4 uh, in his MMA career versus Mauricio Alexandra, uh, 13 and 2. DraftKings salaries have McGee as a pretty big favorite, 10.4K salary versus Alexander at 9K, minus 175 for McGee, uh, plus 155 for Alexander. Your pick to click. Um, I like McGee, and it's hard to believe, but McGee hasn't fought in over two years. Where's he been? Or, by the way? It will be just about two years. He's been banged up, but you know it's mostly one of those take time off deals. Um, he hasn't fought since the last fight, December fourteenth, two thousand thirteen, against Ryan Lafleur. So by the time the pay per view comes Saturday, it'll be two days short of two years. And, you know, we know what McGee is. He's been around a long time. He's already 30 years old. And, but something that gets overlooked with McGee is, you know, he has a lot of heart. He's never going to give up. And, you know, McGee has fought guys who would be certainly, I, I think at least, better competition than the guys that um, Alexandre has faced. McGee defeated Robert Whitaker, who is, you know, now one of the, you know, best up and comers right. in the middleweight division who, you know, just waxed Uriah Hall. And, you know, but again, this is this is a fight where, you know, the guy, at least the favorite, which is McGee, hasn't fought in two years. You know, we've seen him fight plenty of times before, but what's he going to look like after two years on the sidelines? And, you know, Alexandre hasn't won a UFC fight. He lost to Worley Alves. He lost to Tim Means. So he's fought two decent guys. But you have one guy who hasn't won a fight in the company and one guy who hasn't fought in two years. So who knows what you're going to get. Uh, this is one of those fights where, you know, like like um, like the Proctor and the Mustafa fight earlier, that it might just be 
best to stay away from. Right. Yeah. Too much of a little bit of a wild card. And Cream and Court McGee is a guy like that, like has skills, but we don't know exactly where he is at with a big layoff. So I'm going to be fading this fight as well. And that is going to wrap it up for the Rotowire DFS podcast MMA edition covering uh, UFC 194. Don't forget, you can always follow John t- on Twitter at John Littering. You can also send me a message on Twitter at Josh Hayes FS. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to the Rotowire DFS podcast. Now available on iTunes and Stitcher for your download and convenience. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.